for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We come before you just a, a grateful people, Lord. And on this Memorial Day, Lord, we're grateful for just this land that you've given us, Lord. We're grateful for the freedom that we have, and we're grateful for the, for the men and women who, who died to, to give us that, Lord. And we're grateful for just for your provision in this country of ours. And we pray that you just help us to help us to take full advantage of the freedom that we have, Lord, and represent you well and share your gospel, Lord, and use the resources that we have just to, to spread your, your message across this globe, Lord. We pray that as we open up John chapter 8 this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. We ask that you would just, you would meet us here and that you would minister to us, Father. We pray that in your name. Amen. Well, if I'm talking a little slow today, uh, I've been kind of sick since Thursday. And I kind of started getting better yesterday, but I'm still kind of, so uh, I stole your water, by the way, Brian. So if you get up here and worship and looking for your water, here it is. All right, so in the last section we looked at, Jesus was talking with some of the Jews who had come to faith in him. And you remember he told them that if they were to abide in him, that they would know the truth and that the truth would set them free. And you may remember that some of the Jews, most likely those that were unbelievers among them, said, what do you mean set us free? We've, we've never been slaves. Except the Philistines and the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. <laughs> and so they, 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 they were kind of blind. And they, they think they're blinding themselves to the truth in order to disregard the message of Jesus. And remember they go on and they're talking about their father Abraham. And remember, Jesus says, your father, what do you mean? Your father's the devil. And, and that's sort of where we pick up the text this morning in verse 48. And the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? The Pharisees called Jesus a Samaritan. It doesn't seem that bad to us, does it? I mean, I could think of worse things to be called. I mean, there's, there's the Good Samaritan, right? There's an RV club named after them. The, for those of you guys who are younger, Good Sam was an RV club a, a long time ago. But in those days, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. And a lot of you guys know this already, but back in about 722 B.C., Sargon II and the Assyrian army, they conquered the northern kingdom, 722 B.C., that is. And um, at that time, there had already been sort of a, a civil war and a split within Israel. And there was the northern kingdom, which still went by Israel, and it was primarily made up of ten tribes. And there was the southern kingdom, and it was referred to as Judah, and it was the two tribes. And so in about 722, Sargon II came in and he conquered Israel, the northern kingdom. 
And when he did that, he deported many of the inhabitants of the land, sent them to other parts of the Assyrian Empire. And what the Assyrians would do is they would, they would conquer a land, and once it was defeated, they would expatriate a lot of the inhabitants, and they would bring in people from other areas that they had conquered. So, so in Israel at this time, there's some Jews there, but then there's all kinds of Gentiles from the rest of the Assyrian Empire all kind of crammed into Israel. And over time, many of the Hebrew people, they intermarried with these Assyrian subjects. And so the Jews who didn't intermarry had an issue with the ones that did. And it ended up that, that down the road, centuries later, the, the two groups totally divided. And so the, the group that intermarried and separated themselves from, from Israel became the Samaritans. And so we've talked about this before. In Jesus' time, the Samaritans had their own region. And their region was mostly, I mean, it was kind of fluid a little bit. Some of you guys have maps in your Bible, and, and those borders kind of changed a little bit sometimes. But generally speaking, Samaria was that whole region in between Galilee and Jerusalem. And so if a Jew wanted to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, the shortest path to get there is right through Samaria. But they hated the Samaritans so much that they would take extra days on their journey and they would walk out across the Jordan River and up through Perea and back around into Galilee. And if they did have to go through Samaria, as soon as they crossed the border back into Israel, they would kick a rock or something and knock all the dust off their feet because they didn't want to take any of that Samaritan dirt back into the Holy Land. And so at this time, we talked about this a while before, that, that the um, Samaritans had their own temple, they had their own version of the scriptures, and, and there was really this, this division. The Samaritans, in the minds of the Jews, they were, they were half-breeds. They were betrayers of the covenant of the Lord. They were despised by the people. And I think that that's why the, the parable of the Good Samaritan was, was so, so shocking to the Jews that a Levite and a priest had, had refused to help this injured Jewish man and then a Samaritan man helped him. And that, was, that was unthinkable. That was, that was an insult to Jews everywhere in their minds. And so when they called Jesus a Samaritan, they intended it to be this this terrible insult. They said, you're a Samaritan and have a demon. They said that Jesus was demon-possessed. Think about that. This is Jesus, God the Son. This is Jesus who spoke creation into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing. This is the one who, who called Abram out of Tehran and, and created the Jewish people. This is Jesus who wrote the very book that they claim to believe in. And they're calling him demon-possessed. It's almost hard to grasp the audacity that they had there. And, and, and I was just thinking about this. Imagine their first thought on Judgment Day. 
when they're standing before Jesus and they realize who he really is. This one that they were cursing, this one that they were insulting, this one that they said was demon-possessed. When they see him there sitting on the throne and the angels worshiping and everybody bowing down to him, how devastated they're going to be. This one that they were railing up at and mocking and insulting, attacking his ancestors, attacking his, his spiritual origin. But look how calmly Jesus responds to these attacks. Jesus answered in verse 49, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Jesus says, nope, I don't have a demon. He totally ignores being called a Samaritan. He doesn't respond to their, to their racial slurs here. And, and I think that if he were to have defended himself against that, he would, have, he would have contributed to their racism. If he would have said, no, I'm not a Samaritan, how dare you call me that? <coughs> I think it would have been belittling to the Samaritans, wouldn't it? At this time in Jewish history, the Jewish people, the leaders in particular, they had this, this sort of a, a twisted view of God's calling on their lives. Remember that, that the Jewish people were, were the chosen people. But they, they, they misunderstood at this point in history what it meant to be chosen. They, they thought that they just were chosen because God loved them and he hated everyone else. They forgot that they were chosen for a purpose, that they were chosen to be his witnesses. They were chosen to be his example in this lost world. They, they had twisted that being chosen to mean that they were the only ones that God loved. What a pack of scoundrels, huh? Why can't we be the exact same way? As the church, don't we get that same attitude a lot of times? That we're the ones that God loves and nobody else. And we forget that, you know what, we used to be them, didn't we? We used to be the world. We used to be the unsaved. We used to be the unbelievers. And it gets so easy for us sometimes as Christians for, to, be, to be us and them. But the truth is, we used to be them. And except for the grace of God, we still would be them. And I think that we as the church would have a lot better witness in this world if we stopped being such judgmental Pharisees and started loving people the way Jesus did. Loving people the way Jesus commanded us to. Loving Jesus the way he loves us. So Jesus, he ignores this racial slur. But he does address the other half of the attack here. Jesus says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. He says, no, I'm not demon possessed. In fact, the opposite is true. I honor my father, yet you guys dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory, verse 50. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Jesus says, look, I'm not saying these things here to honor myself and to make myself look good. I'm not here just name-dropping the name of the Father. He says, but there is one who seeks honor. And there is one who will eventually be honored by all. And that's my Father. He's the final judge. He's the final authority. And look what he says in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So Jesus here, he redirects the conversation back to the topic at hand. And I think that's such an important example for us. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to, to share your faith. You've ever witnessed with people and, and they pull out this whole other weird list of things. Right? They, they always try to get us off topic. And we always have to be redirecting to the basics. Redirecting to Jesus and, and, and who he is. So Jesus redirects back to the topic. He says, truly, truly. He says, look guys, here's the bottom line. Here's the, the final word on the matter. If you keep my word, you will never see death. Think about that for a minute. If you keep Jesus' words, you will never see death. What does he mean? I mean, everyone who heard Jesus say that, they're dead now, right? Millions of believers from that point on have died. Obviously, Jesus here isn't talking about physical death. Because we all die. It's appointed for a man once to die and then judgment. And of course, we understand that he's talking about eternity here, right? He's talking about eternal life. And so often, we think of eternity as beginning when we die, right? We, when we breathe our laugh, last here on earth, then we, then we enter into eternity. And, and I get the idea, but that's not really correct. Eternity, eternal life, began for us the moment that we came to Christ. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 24. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from life to death. See what Jesus says there? He says, Whoever believes my word has eternal life. Not will have eternal life, but has eternal life. He has passed, past tense, from life to death. We see that as soon as this, as soon as we believe that this happens to us, we inherit eternal life. But until that point, we're spiritually dead. Until we're born again, Ephesians 2 says that we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. Look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. He says, and you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him and has forgiven all of our trespasses. So it says, before we came to Christ, before we were forgiven, we were dead spiritually in our trespasses and in our sins. Jesus goes on in verse 52, or the Jews rather, they say to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? They say, now we know you're demon-possessed, Jesus. Now we know that you're out of your mind. You say that whoever believes in you will live forever? Well, Abraham died. The prophets died. You know, what gives? Are you greater than Abraham? 
Are you greater than the prophets? Are you greater than Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and, and all these guys? Are you greater than David? Who do you make yourself out to be? Finally, I think, they get to the heart of the matter, don't they? And I think Jesus must have just smiled a little bit. I think Jesus must have thought, finally, here asking the right questions. I wonder if he said, well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. I'll tell you exactly who I am. And in the coming verses, that's exactly what he does. He explains who he is and where he came from. In verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. So Jesus says, listen guys, I can say all I want about myself. I can tell you how I've existed from eternity past. I can explain to you my, my omnipresence and my omnipotence and my omniscience. I can tell you about how I, how I spoke creation into existence in just six days. I can do all of that. But if it's just me, it's just a guy talking. Remember we saw earlier that under Jewish law, a testimony had to be verified by a couple of witnesses. So Jesus says, look, if it's just me saying these things, you can disregard it. But it's my Father who glorifies me, he says. And just to be clear who we're talking about, Jesus tells them, my Father is the one whom you say he is our God. And so Jesus here is making it as clear as possible, declaring himself to be the Son of God. And he's making it very clear. It's not just in the sense of, oh, you know, we're all children of God. He's declaring that he is God the Son. He is saying in this passage, I am divine. And just, just to put a little icing on the cake for him, in verse 55, he says, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. So Jesus says, look, guys, he's my father. And you claim to worship him. The truth is, guys, you don't even know him. He says, I mean, I, mean, I know him. He's my dad. And if I said I didn't know him, I'd be a liar. And that'd make me just like you guys, because you're a pack of liars. He says, but I do know him. And I keep his word. Now, I've read a few church growth books. I've read some books on evangelism. And I've never seen this method highlighted here. I've never seen the, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites method. I've never seen that you guys think you're so righteous and know God, but you really don't method. And, and let's be honest, I think that most church growth seminars probably wouldn't invite Jesus to speak at their conferences, would they? Because his methods don't always fit into our little box. A lot of times we, we get this idea of, of who Jesus is. Right? We view him as sort of this robe-wearing hippie. I printed a couple of pictures up there. Right? We, we, some of us think he was this, just this kind of fun guy, peace and love. Are some of us from more of a, if you're more of a Catholic background, think of kind of as a little 14-year-old girl with a little bit of facial hair. 
And, and that's kind of how we view them sometimes. And some of us even maybe have more of a biblical view, but it's an incomplete view. And we read verses like, let the children come unto me, and I am the good shepherd. And those things are absolutely true concerning Jesus. But that's not a complete view of him, is it? Because we also have the Jesus who's turning tables over in the temple. We also have the Jesus in Revelation who comes riding in on a white horse with his hair blazing like fire and a sword coming down out of his mouth, decimating his enemies. We have the Jesus here who, who stood up boldly in the temple and called the most powerful men in the nation a pack of liars to their faces. And you know what's crazy? He did it all in love. It's easy to yell at people, isn't it? But he confronts people firmly, but in a spirit of love. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's the Jesus I think of when I remember Pilate when he said, Behold the man. Look at this guy. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? So Jesus says to him, your father Abraham, the one that you revere, the one that you hold up so highly, he rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw my day, and he was glad. You see what Jesus is saying here? The grammar here, the, the tenses are important. Jesus says that Abraham was looking forward to the day when he would meet the, the Mashiach, the Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah. And Jesus says, when Abraham finally saw him, he was glad. Jesus says, Abraham saw me, and he was glad. Now, if you don't know much about the Bible, this doesn't mean anything to you. If you know a little bit about the Bible, you know that Abraham lived a while before Jesus. Right? If you know more about the Bible, you know that Abraham was originally named Abram. And he was from Ur of the Chaldeans. And that he lived approximately 2,000 years before the time of Christ. So for Jesus to say that he had met Abraham, that was preposterous. It's like if I was getting up here today and said, yeah, back when I was young, me and Alexander the Great had lunch one day. And no, you didn't. You're an idiot. Right? And that's how they were feeling towards Jesus at this point. And they look at him and say, look, you're not even 50 years old. How could you have met Abraham? But I want to note that for just a second. I mentioned this a while ago. Jesus is only 32 or 33 at this point. And he already looks 50 years old. Ministry's tough. <laughs> Jesus didn't have an easy life. But the point is, and they make a good point. They say, look, Abraham lived two millennia ago. How could he have seen you? Right? That's impossible if Jesus were a man, if Jesus weren't God. And I think that this is probably a reference that Jesus is making to Genesis chapter 14. 
You may remember that, that Abraham meets this mysterious character in Genesis 14 by the name of Melchizedek. And the author of Hebrews is describing it in Hebrews chapter 7. And he says in verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither the beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So we have this guy appearing in Genesis 14 by the name of Melchizedek. And we learn that he's the king of Salem. And that's sort of a shortened version of Jerusalem. He's the king of Jerusalem. And he's the priest of the Most High God. So we have this character, Melchizedek, who is a priest and a king. And then Abraham offers a tithe to him. Gives him 10%. Just like the Bible prescribes in the Old Testament saints that they're to give a tenth to the Lord. And then we learn that Melchizedek means the king of righteousness, and Melchizedek rules over peace. He rules over Salem. So this guy is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. It says that he appeared out of nowhere, that he has no genealogy, that he has no father or mother on earth, that he has no beginning or end of days, that he's eternal. <coughs> and then look what it says. He looks like the Son of God, and he continues forever. I think the author of Hebrews here makes a, a pretty convincing case for this being Jesus, doesn't he? And we also see in Genesis 14, when, when Abraham met Melchizedek, Melchizedek gave him bread and wine, which are what? The elements of communion. And as we dig into this, it's pretty clear that this is what theologians refer to as, as a theophany or a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he said that he and Abraham had met. And pay attention to the next verse. Look what Jesus says. Jesus has got him worked up a little bit, so he, so he tries to calm him down in the next verse a little bit. Wait, no, he doesn't. He actually throws gas on the fire. He says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And look, he didn't just say, before Abraham was, I was. You know, that I'm, that I'm really old or, or something like that. He's saying that he pre-existed Abraham. And that was bad enough in their eyes. But now he says, before Abraham was, I am. Making a very clear reference to Exodus chapter 3. And you guys may remember that passage in Exodus chapter 3. Moses, he's out there in the wilderness. He's on the lamb. He's hiding from Pharaoh. He's been out there for 40 years watching Jethro's goats. And he says, out there, it says in verse, chapter 3, verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. 
He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And you guys remember this story? He approaches the bush. In verse 3 it says, And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And you remember how the conversation goes. The Lord calls Moses to go back into Egypt and to set the people free. And Moses keeps making excuses. And the Lord will answer and he makes another excuse. And finally, remember Moses, he runs out of excuses. He says, well, okay, well, well, who should I say sent me? And in verse 14, God says to Moses, say, I am who I am. Or he says, I am who I am. And he said, this is what, say this to the people of Israel. The I am has sent you. That term there, I am that I am. In the Hebrew, it's ayar asher ayar. And it means that I am the, the, the self-sustaining one. That I am the, the, the all-sufficient one. And so it's very clear that this I am in Exodus 3 is God. And it's interesting, it says in verse 2 that it was the angel of the Lord. But in the verse 6, it says that it was God. And when we see this term in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, it's a clue. It's typically pointing to an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And we see here that this term, the angel of the Lord, and God, they're used synonymously. And I know this is a lot of information here. It's a lot to take in. But it's important for us to understand so we can see what's going on here. So in John 8, when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, it was very clear to the Jews what Jesus was claiming. He was claiming to be that ayer asher ayer, that, that I am that I am. He was claiming to be the Lord God himself. And, and just so we're clear, the Jews understood exactly what Jesus was saying without question. How do we know that? Look at the next verse. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They were going to kill Jesus. Why? Because that was the punishment for blasphemy prescribed in the Old Testament. If somebody claimed to be God, that was blasphemy and they were to be stoned to death. It says in Leviticus chapter 24 verse 13, And the Lord said to Moses, saying, Take the blasphemer outside the camp and let all who are within hearing lay their hands on his head and let the whole congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Anyone who curses God shall bear this sin. One who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. The whole congregation shall stone the blasphemer. Aliens as well as citizens, when they blaspheme the name, shall be put to death. So there was no question here what Jesus was saying. 
his audience understood it perfectly. Next time somebody tells you that Jesus never claimed to be God, open up your Bibles right here to John chapter 8 and say, well, let me show you. Let me show you exactly what Jesus said. As we close, I want to circle back a little bit to verse 51. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Death haunts humanity, doesn't it? Everyone's trying to escape death, aren't they? Look back through history. How many people have been searching for the fountain of youth, huh? Trying to escape death. People are always looking for ways to stay young. I think I shared this before, but a while ago I was, I was on an airplane and I was flipping through an article and there's this article about HGH. You guys know what HGH is? Human growth hormone. And this picture of this guy, he's like 79 years old. And he's got a full six-pack and he's just jacked. You know, he's talking about, you too can have this for $2,500 a month or whatever it is. That's why everybody's working out and so many people are getting plastic surgery and all this crazy stuff. And I read this article a while ago that was saying, if you can live to 2050, you can probably live forever. Because if you can make it that far, medical advances will be such they can extend your not life another 50 years. And if you can make it that next 50 years, medical advancement will be so much they're saying that they'll be able to, to digitize your personality and upload you. And, be able to, and you know, it's kind of science fiction-y, but they're basing it on all, this, all these facts. And it's crazy stuff. And who would want that? Everyone's trying to extend their life. That's why gyms are such big business. That's why vitamins are a billion-dollar industry. That's why L. Ron Hubbard froze his head. Right? Everybody wants to live forever. I don't know if that's true or not, but <laughs> I heard it one time. But what does the Scripture say? It is appointed for a man once to die, and then the judgment. Physical death is coming for us all. There's no escape. But what about spiritual life and death? In this passage, we see two great realities. We see the deity of Jesus Christ and the deathlessness of his followers. Jesus is God, and because of that, he and he alone can grant us eternal life. And he says those who follow him will never die. And we'll die physically but spiritually will live on forever as we were originally created to do. But in order for us to experience that eternal life, Jesus says that we have to deal with our sin. I heard John Corson say this once and I liked it. He said, sin will cost more than you want to pay. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go and see, sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. There's a lot of truth in that. Sin is a cruel taskmaster. Sin binds us in chains. But we can find freedom. We can be set free from the power of sin and death in our lives. We can find eternal life in Jesus Christ if we just believe in Him. If we just repent of our sins and turn to Him. If we trust in His Word. And that's my encouragement this morning. 
that we repent of our sins, that we come back to the Father. And if you this morning are a believer and you've drifted away and you're not where you should be this morning, come back, repent. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and and you're still lost in your sins, don't be lost anymore. Be found. Let Jesus find you. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. Amen? Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so grateful for your mercy. We're so grateful for the eternal life that you bless us with, Lord. And Father, we just pray that for any of us here who just need to do business with you, Lord, pray that you would just help us to do that. Stir our spirit. Just draw us close to you, we pray. Amen. Guys, if anybody needs prayer as we continue in worship, I'll be over on the side.